So, this may be the start of the show. If the kitty talks enough. Yeah? Uh-huh. Everybody always asks where you are these days. Because you used to be out here all the time during showtime, and now you don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah? Mm-hmm. And how badly do I beat you? And how often? See? Hardly ever, and not that hard. Do you only know the word hard? You haven't been learning English, have you? You traitorous fucking furball. What language have you been learning to speak? What language? Arabic? Why? Oh, she's gone silent. And as such begins the show. <laughs> Let's have a good time tonight, shall we? It is a tip show. I have turned the recording volume up way too high. Have fun with that fucking alley. Oh, there's already a tip jar open. Thank you so much for that. I opened a tip earlier because I didn't realize it was a tip. It came in early. Uh, so hold on real quick here. Let me just scroll up and say, Kathleen M., thank you so, so very much. Uh, Mika also has sent one in early. Thank you. I appreciate both of you very, very, very much indeed. <clears throat> We've got a fair bit to read tonight. I've got just a little bit of a, ah, a, little, ugh, a little Jay Sherman going on, a little ah, but uh, I think everything will be okay as long as you want to listen to me read. I want to read for you. Yeah? Okay, then. We're going to get things started here pretty quickly. I was going to do phone sex. I was going to do phone sex. But then I started playing a video game. Hear me out. Jack, you might say. But you love masturbating with a woman for money and making women happy doing it. I hear you. I do. However, I also really, really, really love upgrading my fucking armor set. So... <laughs> it's a struggle. You know? It's a struggle. So here's the thing. I... <clears throat> a couple years ago, before I became the Grey Knight, uh, I actually... Uh, one thing that I used to do for myself that I don't uh, talk about anymore since I've gotten better is I used to fast. And uh, I think that I used to fast to help alleviate the health uh, situation that I've been fixing for the last year and a half. And my longest fast ever was 17 days. 17 days of just water. It was a long, long fast over a winter break. And I was seeing a therapist. I had a doctor the whole time. I was under medical care. Uh, so don't worry and also don't try this at home. But 17 days, no calories. And what I noticed uh, about six days in is that at this time with my therapist, I was primarily working on anger issues. Uh, just being angry, that sort of thing. We noticed, I was seeing him twice a week, we noticed uh, six days in that I was cool as a cucumber. And 
we both found that to be pretty interesting because people fast, they get irritated, they get weak. And six days in, I was not weak and I was not hangry in any way, shape, or form. I was, uh, in fact, pretty relaxed. And he said, well, I think we should play with this. I think we should experiment with this. I think we should, uh, if, if you're able to not be as irritated or as quick on the fly right now while fasting, you should do things that irritate you and see how you handle them. That's the real test. And so I started, you know, applying for jobs and, uh, you know, having conversations I didn't want to have and, and doing things I didn't want to do uh, just to sort of test it out. And after I got done with that, after a couple of days of that, it was, again, uh, Christmas break, essentially, I started playing Dark Souls for the first time. Dark Souls had been out for a little while at this point, but not very long. And the reputation preceded it as this game... That was just very, very mean. If you don't know about Dark Souls, it's a game that kills you. That's the whole premise of the game. You play it, and you, you're you not going to be very good at it. It's a hard, hard game. It's not purposely impossible, like some joke games that you see, but it's a game where you're supposed to die a lot. Uh, that's part of the premise. In fact... The the edition that came to the PC, the edition that I played, was called, I'm almost positive, this is verbatim, Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition. Almost positive. Uh, so, I, uh, I was playing it, and it's very, very hard, and parts of it are just fucking frustrating as shit. Uh, but I found myself getting super goddamn zen about it, right? There became this point, this breaking point, after <clears throat> uh, after a few fair uh, uh, failures, that instead of it becoming more frustrating, maximum frustration had been achieved, right? And then from there, almost like a pneumatic release, like a hiss, like a frustration went down, even though it would keep doing the same thing that was frustrating. There would there was a point of frustration where I would say, hey, this is as frustrated as you're going to get, bucko. And then it, that was it. And then from there, I would have to take a break or what have you, but I would start being able to come up with a new plan. I would nerd rage. I went into it. I spent the next four or five days uh, just, you know, leveling up in Dark Souls and playing it and having a good old time. Uh... And I found out at that point, I really like this. I really like this hard, hard game with opaque kind of stats and don't look anything up. Just play it yourself and, and get frustrated and lost. And I just found a game. I've played all the Dark Souls before, so I thought I was kind of out of them. And I'm not willing to buy a TV and a PlayStation 3 just to play Bloodborne. God, I'm looking forward to it one day. But uh, still haven't played Bloodborne. And I thought I was kind of out of it, so I got this game just kind of on a lark. There was a summer sale on Steam. I can't believe I didn't fucking slur! Oh my god, I thought for sure I was there. There was a summer sale on Steam. Hey! Twice! And the game that I got was Salt and Sanctuary. I got Salt and Sanctuary on the summer sale on Steam. Ha 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 ha! My diaphragm is healing. So, <clears throat> it's a Dark Souls-like game where you just walk around 
and you get killed. It's Dark Souls, but it's in two dimensions even. So it's almost adorable. So it's this game that's trying to frustrate the shit out of you and, like, just really mess with you, but it's in two dimensions. It's got, like, adorable little sprites, like all the giant evil creatures that they make and they make giant evil creatures are 2D sprites. How are you going to get mad at that? How are you going to nerd rage at that? So I've spent the whole last two days being like, you know, fighting fucking eldric forces and flying witches and shit who can fireball your head off from the other side of the screen, just kill you. There was one witch who could fucking just fucking kill you. She had this fucking bullshit move. She literally would go off screen and it kills you in one hit if you don't dodge it. How the fuck are you supposed to dodge it if she's off screen? You can't fucking see it. Fucking bullshit, let me just tell you. And yet, I would keep coming back to all of these, like, slam down, what have you. It just feels fantastic. I don't know what to tell you. I, I know I'm rambling a little bit. Hitting these walls in these games, these especially if they're, like, trying to make you feel intimidated or or afraid of the boss in the game... Oh, it's just so much fucking fun to fucking beat those bosses. I don't know what else to say. They don't, eventually they stop frustrating you, and they just start being the most fun thing. So for the last couple of days, I've just been getting lost as shit in this game, Sultan Sanctuary, and occasionally stumbling across a boss, and then beating the crap out of it with my giant hammer. Oh, it's the most fun thing in the world for me. And I never, ever want any of you to watch it because I say fuck a million times a second. Watching me play that game is literally just listening to me use the word fuck in every way that it can be used. Oh, you fucking, you fuck, you fuck, fuck. You fuck! Fuck you, 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 fuck you. Fuck, 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 the last thing that I did before I took my nap to come up here, the last thing that I did is I went back. I just got the last thing to upgrade my hammer. I'm so excited, guys. Ever since I found this hammer, I haven't used any other weapon. I've straight been Gendry fucking uh, Baratheon around, just hammering, just uh, 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 just upgrading it every chance that I could. It's not even the best weapon. I just love it. It's not my strongest weapon. I'm just like, fuck you, hammer. It's a giant hammer. It's twice the size that I am. Right? <laughs> so for one, that's a win. It's a caber with a fucking morning star on the end of it. And I finally got enough things to upgrade it. And I went back to the first area, because that's the only area I can remember where the blacksmith is. I told you, I'm getting high and drunk and lost in this goddamn game. It's amazing. So I'm trying to find my way back to the blacksmith, just stumbling through like a Shakespearean fucking tragic character. And that's towards the beginning of the game. And there's these characters that were just killing the shit out of me at the beginning. And, oh, just one-shotting them. Can I just... Is there anything nicer? I, anybody who doesn't play video games just keeps skipping forward three minutes. Oh, my God, he's still talking... Is there anything nicer in a video game than one-shotting enemies that piss you off? Do you remember the Hammer Brothers from the original Super Mario's? The original Hammer Brothers? Those fucking dicks? Imagine one-shotting them. Imagine 
Imagine just hitting them with your mind once and then they eviscerate. They explode into darkness. That's how good it feels, baby. That's how good it feels. <laughs> oh, you girls are so sweet. And now, thank you for letting me do my intro uh, bullshit thing where I get all loose and worked out for you. I appreciate it very much. But now it's time to put things in quotations. 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 Don't forget your stations. You want to do quotations? Exactly like that. If you put it in quotation marks, I will probably read it. Like so, like Mickey just demonstrated with, You're such a good girl for Danny. It's just that easy. Nice. And easy loosens us all up. <laughs> no wheezing the juice. Quotations, oh quotations. Well, shit, I thought that they were going to come in if I sang and Mickey prompted us and... You want me to talk about Hammer Brothers some more? So this other thing I did in Salt and Sanctuary was there was a guy, but I hit him with my thing, and then I killed him. First, first he hit me, and I was like, oh, no. But then I hit him, and I was like, yeah. Then he hit me, and I was like, oh, no. But then I hit him, and I was like, ooh. Sexiest show on the internet. <laughs> Is there anything better than just one-shotting enemies that piss you off? Oh, there is. Well, come show me, baby. Come on now, kitten. Swallow that all down, and you'll get that fucking that I promised. Talk nerdy to me. That's no moon. That's a space station. <clears throat> Come here. Now. What's that blue thing doing here? It's fine, sweet pet. We'll go slow. To start with. Be a good girl and take daddy in your mouth. You're holding out on me, baby girl. Relax, kitten. It's just daddy's big hand around your little throat. Mm. Good girl. What is daddy going to do with you? On your knees, little girl. Daddy is ready for you, now. Okay, guys, let's curve the, uh, let's curve the nerd stuff a little bit, huh? You like it when I call you pup, don't you? Oh, you're just a slut for Daddy. Now come.
And that was all. There were no other requests. Nobody had me say anything else. Don't think I'm divaing out. I'm doing that later. That's for after the show. Flinging IPA bottles like missiles around the room while I scream that nobody understands or appreciates me enough. End up just in drag. Taking it off piece by piece. Bola around my neck. Crying in the mirror with all my skin care. You know, a typical Saturday night. Well now, aren't you a kinky little thing? Step out of your panties one foot at a time. That's it. Beg for your daddy, little slut. Let me check if you're really sick. Open your mouth. That was fun. That was a fun one. Stop struggling. You're not going anywhere for a while. Look up at me whilst I come in your mouth, baby girl. Come here, baby doll. Let's get more comfortable. Now I really want to be naked in a mirror with a bolo around me and nothing else. Don't let my dreams be dreams, I suppose. I miss Sarah. I'm so sorry. If you were mine, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. Thank you. Don't mean to miss anybody. Come for me. Do it. I'm not giving you an option. You don't want another punishment, do you? You gonna come on this fucking cock, hmm? <laughs> that one's just for Holla. Holla, that one was a lot of fun for you. I imagine her going through these and having the time of her life. To be honest, I imagine her going through these, this is another video game reference, like the fucking collector from StarCraft II. She's getting her tendrils in there with her little, with her little fucking magnifying glass out. Oh, yes, this is a fine specimen. Arbitur says that we will take from the best and use it to forward the strength of the swarm. We will destroy all that oppose us. I always just wanted to hang out with that guy on, like, lunch break. Arbiter will have the pasta al abribeante because its cheese is delicious and the pasta is al dente. Oh, okay, cool. You understand where he stands on shit. He explains it. Okay, guys, finishing up, especially if it's your first time here, if you put it in quotations, I will say it. This is it. 
We are closing up quotations. This used to be the favorite segment of everybody. And now the quotes just kind of slowly limp in. Oh, 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 I'm such a tired little quote. Oh, I've walked such a long way to get here. Bend over the desk, look straight ahead, and lay your palms flat. Now, wait until I'm ready for you. Get him in, get him in, get him in. Close and up the segment. We've got lots to read tonight. <clears throat> Don't tease me, baby girl, or you know what will happen. See lots of new girls putting in quotations. Thank you so much, new girls. Can you hear these keys jingle? They are for your handcuffs. Now, be a good girl and wait. Baby, baby, please. What kind of man do you think I am? Sweetheart, you're being awfully mouthy. Come here, bend over my lap so I can smack your ass. Absolutely not going to say I miss you, Albuquerque. Sorry. <laughs> there are limits. There are limits. You're mine. All mine. Especially since I literally, when getting Chinese food today, extended my middle finger to the entire city line while driving past it and said, Fuck you. Oh, yeah. Except like twice as loud and twice as long. It's a long road. If you're wondering why I did, like, wow, Jack, that's kind of crazy. It's a road where you can see pretty much all of Albuquerque, and it's a long road with no stop signs on. It's a weird road to have in the middle of a city. It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of in a rural area in the middle of a city. And so when I'm on that road, I have to entertain myself in some way or another. And if I can't sing the song that's on the radio, and I couldn't because it was Journey, and they're just too complicated for me to sing along with, kids. And so, uh, instead of singing along with Journey, I kind of flipped that off and did that instead. And if you're wondering why I do the Oh Yeah, that comes from The Critic, a 1990s cartoon. There was a six-year-old, seven-year-old redhead girl on that show, and she would go, Oh Yeah, and it cracked me up. She only did it twice, but both times it fucking slayed me. And to this day, that's who I'm. And whenever an old black musician, or like when I'm listening to something and I'm like howling Jack Johnson or somebody does it, in my mind, he immediately becomes that little animated six year old redheaded girl. And I howl with laughter every fucking time. <laughs> mm. 
All right, we've got things to read. Did you know that? Did you know that this was a request show? 30 minutes in? No, it's not just a fucking video game reference show. What do you think I am, Chris Hardwick? No. No, we work for a living here. What? You think I'm just You think I'm just going to live off other people's work and not make any effort of my own? What do you think this is? AMC? Uh-uh. We're going to do some things tonight. Okay. <laughs> Up next, 3 hours of ride. And it's and it's just and it's just Daryl Dixon sitting there and he keeps looking back at the camera going, Stop following me. Stop following me. I'm not Daryl Dixon. My name is Norman Reedus. I'm a real person. Stop following me. I'm just riding my bike. Up next, ride with Norman Reedus, followed by Comedians on Bikes Getting Coffee with Norman Reedus. Followed by Fear the Walking Dead's Fearful Ones with Norman Reedus. Oh, <laughs> shit. All right. Okay. Probably should do my own work instead of stomping on that the whole time. By the way, that's not a joke about Norman Reedus. It's a joke about AMC. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> I would also take all those jobs and money should they be offering them to me. <laughs> the fault is in the employer, not the employee. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> Over the fence. Strawberries grow. Over the fence I could climb. If I tried, I know. Berries are nice. But if I stained my apron, God would certainly scold. Oh, dear. I guess if he were a boy, he'd climb if he could. Emily Dickinson. Okay. People where you live, the little prince said, grow 5,000 roses in one garden. Yet, they don't find what they're looking for. They don't find it, I answered. And yet, what they're looking for could be found in a single rose, or a little water. Of course, I answered. The little prince added, but eyes are blind. You have to look with the heart. The Little Prince. Okay, here. <clears throat> Body of a woman, white heels, white thighs. When you surrender, you stretch out like the world. My body, savage and peasant, undermines you and makes a sun leap in the bottom of the earth. I was a lonely tunnel. Birds flew from me. And night invaded me with her powerful army. To survive, I forged you like a weapon, like an arrow for my bow or a stone for my sling. But now the hour of revenge falls. And I love you. Body of skin, of moss, of firm and thirsty milk, and the cups of your breasts 
and your eyes full of absence, and the roses of your mound and your voice slow and sad. Body of my woman, I will live on through your marvelousness, my thirst, my desire, without end, my wavering road. Dark river beds down which the eternal thirst is flowing, and the fatigue is flowing, and the grief without shore. Pablo Neruda. Kitty, do you have anything to add? Okay. Why are you being a little lovebird today, huh? You don't know? Just love me? Okay. She keeps curling up right beside me. And just flopping over on her stomach in a little a little furry C shape, looking up at me. <laughs> I didn't put you in kitty jail today. Guess I shoulda. <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it for the poetry. We have got a fair bit besides. Let me just rearrange that a little bit. Uh, somebody requested two of these, but I'm only going to be doing one of them, which is the monologue. I hope you understand why. Person who requested both, thank you so much for doing so. <clears throat> you listen to me. I've been alive a bit longer than you, and dead a lot longer than that. I've seen things you couldn't imagine, and done things I prefer you didn't. I don't exactly have a reputation for being a thinker. I follow my blood, which doesn't exactly rush in the direction of my brain. So I make a lot of mistakes, a lot of wrong bloody calls. A hundred plus years, and there's only one thing I've ever been sure of. You. Hey, look at me. I'm not asking you for anything. When I say I love you, it's not because I want you or because I can't have you. It has nothing to do with me. I love what you are, what you do, how you try. I've seen your kindness and your strength. I've seen the best and the worst of you. And I understand with perfect clarity exactly what you are. You're a hell of a woman. You're the one, Buffy. Monologue from Spike. Excerpt from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, we've got some nerdy girls tonight. We've got some more fucking nerdy shit coming up here, you better believe. Uh, I don't think I'll be reading all of this. You guys, you just an embarrassment of riches tonight. Lots and lots and lots of pieces. Uh, I very much appreciate it. I hope you don't mind that I apparently am Goldilocks. <laughs> and I say, give me more, give me more, give me more, too much. 
I sound like fucking every co-ed I've ever taken to a hotel room. Don't worry, it'll be fine. It'll fit. It'll fit. Ah! Okay, okay. I'm minimalizing you all because you're all so funny. And that way I won't keep looking over what you're saying and I'll just read it. <clears throat> Diamanda Tockley did indeed wear a floppy black velvet hat and had a veil, too. Perdita Knit, who had once been merely Agnes Knit before she got witchcraft, wore a black hat with a veil, too, because Diamanda did. Both of them were 17. And she wished she was naturally skinny like Diamanda, but... If you can't be skinny, you can at least look unhealthy. So, she wore so much thick white makeup in order to conceal her naturally rosy complexion that it turned suddenly and her face would probably end up at the back of her head. They'd done the raising of the cone of power, and some candle magic, and some scrying. Now, Diamanda was showing them how to do the cards. She said they contained the distilled wisdom of the ancients, Perdita had found herself treacherously wondering who these ancients were. They clearly were the the same old people who were stupid, Diamanda said, but she wasn't quite clear why they were wiser than, say, modern people. Also, she didn't understand what the feminine principle was, and she wasn't too clear about the inner self business. She was coming to suspect she didn't have one. All she wished she could do was lay her eyes like Diamanda did, and she wished she could wear her heels like Diamanda did. Amanita Device had told her that Diamanda slept in a real coffin. She wished she had the nerve to have a dagger and skull tattoo on her arm like Amanita did, even if it was in ordinary ink and she had to wash it off every night in case her mother saw it. A tiny, nasty voice from Perdita's inner self suggested that Amanita wasn't a good choice of a name or Perdita, for that matter. And it was said that maybe Perdita shouldn't meddle with things she didn't understand. The trouble was, she knew, that this meant nearly everything. She wished she could wear black like Demanda did. Demanda really got results. Perdita wouldn't have believed it. She'd always known about witches, of course. They were old women who dressed like crows, except for Margot... Margaret uh, Garlic, who was frankly mental and always looked as if she was going to burst into tears. Perdita remembered Margaret bringing in a guitar to a Hog's Watch night party once and singing wobbly folk songs with her eyes shut in a way that suggested that she really believed in them. She hadn't been able to play, but this was all right, because she couldn't sing either. People had applauded because, well, what else could you do? But Diamanda had read books. She knew stuff. Raising power at the stones, for one thing. It really worked. Currently, she was showing them the cards. The wind had got up again tonight. It rattled the shutters and made the soot fall down the chimney. It seemed to Perdita that it had blown all the shadows into the corners of the room. Are you paying attention, sister? Diamanda, said Diamanda coldly, that was another thing. You had to call one another sister out of fraternity? Yes, Diamanda, she said meekly. This is the moon, Diamanda repeated. For those who weren't paying attention, she held up the card. And what do you see here, 
you, Mascara. Uh, it's got a picture of a moon on it, said Mascara, who used to be Susan, in a hopeful voice. Of course, it's not the moon. It's a nominative convention, not tied to conventional referencing system, actually, said Dimanda. Ah. Uh. A gust rocked the cottage, the door burst open and slammed back against the wall, giving a glimpse of the cloud-racked sky in which non-nominative convention was showing a crescent. Dimanda waved a hand. There was a brief flash of octarine light. Tell me, my dear, said Dimanda, do you think it's working? She leaned forward further. Dimanda leaned backward. And they slowly leaned forward again. They ended up nose to nose. Who's this? Dimanda, said Dimanda out of the corner of her mouth. Um, it's Granny Witherwax, said Perdita. Um, she's a witch. Um, what level, said Dimanda. Nanny Og looked around for something to hide behind. Granny Weatherwax's eyebrow twitched. Levels, huh? She said. Well, I suppose I'm level one. <laughs> Just starting, said Dimanda. Oh, dear. Tell you what, said Nanny Og quietly to Perdita. If we was to turn the table over, we could probably hide behind it. No problem. But to herself, she was thinking, Esme can never resist a challenge. None of us can. You ain't a witch if you ain't got self-confidence. But we're not getting any younger. It's like being a hired sword fighter, being a top witch. You think you're good, but you know there's got to be someone younger, practicing every day, polishing up their craft. And you're out there walking down the road and hear this voice behind you that says, Go for your toad. Or similar. Even for Esma, sooner or later, she'll come up against someone faster on the craftiness than she is. Oh, yes, said Granny quietly, just starting. Every day just starting. Nanny Og thought, but it won't be today. You stupid old woman, said Dimanda. You don't frighten me. Oh, yes, I know all about your old, frightened, superstitious peasants, actually, muttering and squinting. It's all about my mind. Simple psychology. That's not real witchcraft. I'll, or I'll just go into the scullery and see if I can find any buckets with water, shall I? Said Nanny Og to no one in particular. I suspect you know... All about witchcraft, said Granny Weatherwax. I'm studying. Yes, said Dimanda. Nanny Og realized that she had removed her own hat and was biting nervously at the brim. I suspect you're really good at it, said Granny Weatherwax. Quite good, said Dimanda. Show me. She is good, thought Nanny Og. She's been facing down Esma's stare for more than a minute. Even snakes generally give up after a minute. If a fly had darted through the few inches of space between their stares, it would have flashed into flame in the air. I learned my craft from Nanny Gripes, said Granny Weatherwax, who learned it from 
Goody Hegarty, who learned it from Nana Plum, who got it by Black Alice, who. So what you're saying is, said Dimanda, loading the words into the sentence like a cartridge in a chamber, that no one has actually learned anything new. The silence that followed was broken by Nanny Og saying, Bugger, I've bitten right through the brim. Right through. I see, said Granny Witherwax. Look, said Nanny Og hurriedly, trudging at the trembling Perdita, right through the lining and everything. Two dollars and curling and the pig had it cost me. That's two dollars and a pig here I shan't see again. So... You can just go away, old woman, said Dimanda. But we ought to meet again, said Granny Weatherwax. The old witch and the young witch weighed one another up. Midnight, said Dimanda. Midnight. Nothing special about midnight. Practically anyone can be a witch at midnight, said Granny Weatherwax. How about noon? Certainly. What are we fighting for? said Dimanda. Fighting? Oh, we ain't fighting. We're just showing each other what we can do. Friendly-like, said Granny Weatherwax. She stood up. I'd better get going, she said. Us old people need our sleep. You know how it is. And what does the winner get? said Dimanda. There was just a trace of uncertainty in her voice now. It was very faint. On the Richter scale of doubt... It was probably no more than a plastic teacup five miles away, falling off a low shelf onto a carpet. But it was there. Oh, the winner gets to win, said Granny Weatherwax. That's what it's all about. Don't bother to see us out. You didn't to see us in. The door slammed back. Simple psychokinesis, said Dimanda. Oh, well, that's all right, then, said Granny Weatherwax, disappearing into the night. Explains it all, that does. There used to be such simple directions back in the days before they invented parallel universes. Up, down, left, right, backward, forward, past, present. But normal directions don't work in the multiverse, which has too many dimensions for anyone to find their way. So new ones had to be invented so that they could be found, like east of the sun, west of the moon, or behind the north wind, or at the back of beyond, or there and back again, or beyond the fields we know. And sometimes there's a shortcut, a door, or a gate, some standing stones, a tree cleft of lightning, a filing cabinet. Maybe just a spot on some moorland somewhere. A place that is very nearly here and very nearly there. Nearly, but not quite. There's enough leakage to make pendulums swing and psychics get nasty headaches, to give a house a reputation for being haunted, to make the occasional pot hurl across the room. There's enough leakage there to make the drones fly guard. Oh, yes. The drones. 
There are things called drone assemblies. Sometimes, on fine summer days, the drones from hives for miles around will congregate in some spots and fly circles in the air, buzzing like tiny early warning systems, which is what they are. Bees are sensible. It's a human world. But bees are creatures of order and are programmed into their very genes a hatred of chaos. If some people once knew where such a spot was, if they had experience of what happens when here and there becomes entangled, then they might, if they knew how, mark such a spot with certain stones, in the hope that enough daft buggers would take this as a warning. Keep away. Well, what do you think? said Granny as the witches hurried home. Uh, I, I think I'm going to close it there. Thank you very, very, very much for that uh, excerpt. I'm just, I'm going to say it. Uh, please don't feel bad. Guys, in the future, excerpts should have, you know, a clear beginning and end to the story. I appreciate that your favorite song might be 17 minutes long, but it's karaoke, so you don't sing it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're learning. We're learning. We're learning. I asked for more. You gave me more. All right, that's that, that. Here we go. Just making sure that this one maybe doesn't have so much travel time as an excerpt. <laughs> that there's not so much walking around in this excerpt. So much backstory and lore that doesn't directly apply in this excerpt. All right. <clears throat> he had a tattoo on his upper arm of a small heart done in blue and red. Beneath, beneath it was a patch of pink skin where a name had been erased. He was licking her left nipple slowly. His right hand was caressing the back of her neck. What's wrong? she asked. He looked up. What do you mean? You seem like, I don't know, somewhere else, she said. Oh, that's nice. It's really nice. They were in a hotel suite. It was her suite. He knew who she was, had recognized her on site, but had been warned not to use her name. He moved his head up to look into her eyes, moved his hand down to her breast. They were both naked from the waist up. She had a silk shirt on. He wore blue jeans. Well, she said. He put his mouth against hers. Their lips touched. Her tongue flickered against his. She sighed, pulled back. So what's wrong? Don't you like me? He grinned reassuringly. Like you? I think you're wonderful, he said. He hugged her tightly. Then his hand cupped her left breast and slowly squeezed it. She closed her eyes. Well, then she whispered, What's wrong? Nothing, he said. It's wonderful. You're wonderful. You're very beautiful. My ex-husband used to say, I used my beauty, she told him. She ran the back of her hand across the front of his jeans, 
up and down. He pushed against her, arching his back. I suppose he was right. She knew the name he had given her, but certain that it was false, a name of convenience, would not call him by it. He touched her cheek. Then he moved his mouth back to her nipple. This time, as he licked, he moved a hand down between her legs. The silk of her dress was soft against his hand, and he cupped his fingers against her pubis and slowly increased the pressure. Anyway, something's wrong, she said. There's something going on in that pretty head of yours. Are you sure you don't want to talk about it? It's silly, he said, and I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. She undid the buttons of his jeans. He rolled over and slid them off, dropping them onto the floor of the bed. He wore thin scarlet underpants, and his erect penis pushed against the material. While he took off his jeans, she removed her earrings. They were made of elaborately looped silver wires. She placed them carefully beside the bed. He laughed suddenly. What was that about? She asked. Just a memory. Strip poker, he said. When I was a kid, I don't know, 13 or 14, we used to play with the girls next door. They would always load us up with trinket, necklaces, earrings, scarves, things like that. So when they'd lose, they'd take one off, one earring or whatever. Ten minutes in, we'd be nude and embarrassed, and they'd still be fully dressed. So why'd you play with them? Hope, he said. He reached beneath her dress, began to massage her labia through her white cotton panties. Hope that maybe we'd get to see a glimpse of something. Anything. And did you? He pulled his hand away, rolled on top of her. They kissed. They pushed as they kissed gently, crotch to crotch. Her hands squeezed his cheeks of his ass. He shook his head. No, but you can always dream. So, what's silly, and why wouldn't I understand? Because it's dumb. Because I don't know what you're thinking. She pulled down his jockey shorts, ran her forefinger along the side of his penis. It's really big. Natalie said it would be. Yeah? I'm not the first person to tell you that it's big. No. She lowered her head, kissed his penis at the base where it sprang by the golden hair, and brushed it. Then she dribbled a little saliva onto it and ran her tongue slowly up its length. She pulled back after that, stared into his blue eyes with her brown ones. You don't know what I'm thinking? What does that mean? Do you normally know what other people are thinking? He shook his head. Well, he said, not exactly. <clears throat> Hold that thought, she said. I'll be right back. She got up, walked into the bathroom, closed the door behind her, but did not lock it. There was a sound of urine splashing into the toilet bowl. It seemed to go on for a long time. The toilet was flushed, the sound of the movement in the bathroom, a cupboard opening, closing, more movements. She opened the door and came out. She was quite naked now. 
She looked, for the first time, slightly self-conscious. He was sitting on the bed, also naked. His hair was blonde and cut very short. As she came close to him, he reached out his hands, held her waist, pulled her close to him. His face was level with her navel. He licked it, then lowered his head to her crotch, pushed his tongue between her long labia, lapped and licked. She began to breathe faster. When he tongued her clitoris, he, be- he pushed a finger into her vagina. It was already wet, and the finger slid in easily. He slid his other hand down her back to the curves of her ass and let it remain there. So, do you always know what people are thinking? He pulled his head back, her juices on his mouth. It's a bit stupid. I mean, I don't really want to talk about it. You'll think I'm weird. She reached down, tipped his chin up, kissed him. She bit his lip, not too hard, pulled at it with her teeth. You are weird, but I like it when you talk. I want to know what's wrong, Mr. Mind Reader. She sat next to him on the bed. You have terrific breasts, he told her. Really lovely. She made a mool. They're not as good as they used to be. And don't change the subject. I'm not changing the subject. He lay back on the bed. I can't really read minds. But I sort of can when I'm in bed with someone. I I know it makes them tick. She climbed on top of him, sat on his stomach. You're kidding. No. His fingered her clit gently. She squirmed. Nice. She moved back six inches, and now she was sitting on his penis, pushed flat between them. She moved on it. I know. I usually... Do you know how hard it is to concentrate with you doing that? Talk, she said. Talk to me. Put it in you. She reached one hand down, held his penis. She lifted herself up slightly, squatted down on his penis, feeding the head inside her. He arched his back, pushed up into her. She closed her eyes, then opened them and stared at him. Well, it's just that when I'm fucking, or even in the time before fucking, well, I know things. Things I honestly don't know, or can't know. Things I don't want to know, even. Abuse, abortions, madness, incest. Whether they're secret sadists or stealing from their bosses. For example. He was all the way in her now, thrusting slowly, in and out. Her hands were resting on his shoulders. She leaned down kissed him on the lips. Well, like, it works with sex, too. Usually, I know how I'm doing in bed with women. I know what to do. I don't have to ask. I know if she needs a top or a bottom, a master or a slave. If she needs me to whisper, 
I love you over and over while I fuck her and lie side by side. Or if she needs me to piss into her mouth, I become what she wants. And that's why, <laughs> Jesus, I can't believe I'm telling you. I mean, that's why I started doing this for a living. Yeah, Natalie swears by you. She gave me your number. She's so cool, Natalie. And in such great shape for her age. What does Natalie like to do to men? He smiled up at her. Trade secret, he said, sworn to secrecy. Scout's honor. Hold on, she said, climbing off him, rolling over. From behind. I like it from behind. I should have known that, he said, sounding almost irritated. He got up, positioned himself behind her, ran a finger down the soft skin that covered her spine, and put his hand up between her legs, then grasped his penis and pushed it into her vagina. Really slow, she said. He thrust his hips, sliding his penis into her. She gasped. Is that nice? He asked. No, she said. It hurt a little when it was all the way in. Not so deep next time. So, you know stuff about women when you screw them? What do you want to know about me? Nothing special. I'm a big fan of yours. <sighs> Spare me. One of his arms was across her breasts. His other hand touched her lips. She sucked at his forefinger, licking it. Well, not that big a fan. But I saw you on Letterman. I thought you were wonderful. Really funny. Thanks. I can't believe we're doing this. Fucking? No. Talking while we're fucking. <laughs> I like to talk while I fuck. That's enough like this. My knees are getting tired. He pulled out and sat back on the bed. So, you know what women are thinking and what they want, hmm? Does it work for men? I don't know. I've never made love to a man. She stared at him, placed a finger on his forehead, ran it slowly down his chin, traced the line of his cheekbone on the way. But you're so pretty. Thank you. And you're a whore. Escort, he said. Vain, too. Perhaps. And you're not. She grinned. Touché. So, you don't know what I am now? <clears throat> Forgive me. <clears throat> Touché. So, you don't know what I want now? No. She lay on her side. Put a condom on and fuck me in the ass. You got any lubricant? Besides the table. He took the condom and gel from the drawer, unrolled the condom down his penis. I hate condoms, he told her as he put it on. They make me itch, and I've got a clean bill of health. I showed you the certificate. I don't care. I just thought I'd mention it. That's all. He rubbed the lubricant into and around her anus. Then he slid the head of his penis inside her. She groaned. He paused. Is 
Is that okay? Yes. He rocked back and forth, pushing deeper. She grunted rhythmically as he did so. After a couple of minutes, she said, Enough. He pulled out, rolled onto her back, and pulled this soiled condom off his penis, dropped it onto the carpet. You can come now, she told him. I'm not ready, and we could go for hours yet. I don't care. Come on my stomach. She smiled at him. Make yourself come. Now. He shook his head, but his hand was already fumbling at his penis, jerking it forward and back until it splurted in a glistening trail all over her stomach and breasts. She reached a hand down now and rubbed the milky semen lazily across her skin. I think you should go now, she said. But you didn't come. You didn't want me to make you come? Mm. I got what I wanted. He shook his head confusedly. His penis was flaccid and shrunken. I should have known, he said, confused. I don't. I don't know. I don't know anything. Get dressed, she told him. Go away. He put on his clothes efficiently, beginning with his socks, then leaned over to kiss her. She moved her head away from his lips. No, she said. Can I see you again? She shook her head. I don't think so. He was shaking. What, a, what about the money? He asked. I paid you already, she said. I paid you when you came in. Don't you remember? He nodded nervously, as if he could not remember, but dared not admit it. Then he patted his pockets until he found the envelope with the cash in it and nodded once more. I feel so empty, he said plaintively. She scarcely noticed when he left. She lay on the bed with a hand on her stomach, his spermatic fluid drying cold on her skin, and she tasted him in her mind. She tasted each woman he had slept with. She tasted what he did with her friend, smiling inside at Natalie's tiny perversions. She tasted the day he lost his first job. She tasted the moment he had awakened, still drunk in his car, in the middle of a cornfield, and, terrified, had sworn off the bottle forever. She knew his real name. She remembered the name that had once been tattooed on his arm and why it could no longer be there. She tasted the color of his eyes from the inside and shriveled at the nightmare he had in which he was forced to carry spinny fish in his mouth from which he woke, choking, night after night. She savored his hungers in flood and fiction and discovery a dark sky when he was a small boy, had stared up at the stars and wondered at their vastness and immensity that he had ever forgotten. Even in the prettiest, the most unpromising material she had discovered, you could find real treasures. And he had a little of the talent himself, although he had never understood it or used it for anything more than sex. She wondered, as she swam in his memories and dreams, if he would miss them, if he would ever notice that they were gone, and then, shuddering, ecstatic, 
she came in bright flashes which warmed her and took her out of herself and into the nowhere-at-all perfection of the little death. There was a crash from the alley below. Someone had stumbled into a garbage can. She sat up and wiped the stickiness from her skin, and then, without showering, began to dress herself once more, deliberately, beginning with white cotton panties and ending with her elaborate silver earrings. Neil Gaiman. Tastings. Also, why I won't be going out to any hotel rooms with you bitches. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I am just trying to figure out what to read of what we've got left. These are the longer pieces now. Just doing a little bit of scanning. Hold with me. Yeah, that's looking pretty doable. Okay. <clears throat> My darling, let us begin this letter, this prelude to an encounter formally as a declaration in the old-fashioned way. I love you. You do not know me, although you have seen me, smiled at me, placed coins in the palm of my hand. I know you, although not so well as I would like. I want to be there when your eyes flutter open in the morning and you see me and you smile. Surely this would be paradise enough. So I do declare myself to you now with pen set to paper. I declare it again. I love you. I write this in English, your language, a language I also speak. My English is good. I was some years ago in England and in Scotland. I spent a whole summer standing in Covent Garden, except for the month of the Edinburgh Festival, when I am in Edinburgh. People who put money in my box in Edinburgh included Mr. Kevin Spacey at the time, the actor, Mr. Jerry Springer, the American television star, who was in Edinburgh for an opera about his life. I have put off writing this for so long, although I have wanted to, although I have composed it many times in my head. Shall I write about you? About me? First you. I love your hair. Long and red. The first time I saw you, I believed you to be a dancer, and I still believe that you have a dancer's body. The legs and the posture, the head and the back. It was your smile that you told me that you were a foreigner before I even heard your voice. In my country, we smile in bursts, like the sun coming out of illuminating the fields and then retreating again behind a cloud too soon. Smiles are valuable here and rare. You smiled all the time, as if everything you saw delighted you. You smiled the first time you saw me, even wider than before. You smiled, and I 
was lost, like a small child in a great forest, never to find its way home again. I learned, when young, that I give the eyes too much away. Some, in some profession, adopt dark spectacles, or even, as these I scorn with bitter laughter as amateurs, masks that cover their whole face. What good is a mask? My solution is the full theatrical contact lens purchased from an American website for a little under 500 euro, which cover the whole eye. And they are a dark gray, of course. They look like stone. And I have made more than 500 euro paid for themselves over and over. You may think, given my profession, that I must be poor. But you would be wrong. Indeed, I fancy that you must be surprised by how much I have collected. My needs have been small, and my earnings have always been very good. Except when it rains. Sometimes when it rains, sometimes even when it rains. The others are perhaps, as you have observed, my love, retreat when it rains. They put up their umbrellas and they run away. I remain where I am, always. I simply wait, unmoving. It all adds to the conviction of the performance, and it is a performance, as much as when I was a theatrical actor and a magician's assistant, and even I myself was a dancer. That is how I am so familiar with the bodies of dancers. Always I was aware of the audience as individuals. I have found that this, with all actors and all dancers, except the short-sighted ones from whom the audience is a blur, my eyesight is good, even though, even through the contact lenses. Did you see the man with the mustache in the third row, we would say? He is wearing a menu with lustful glances, and Manu would reply, Ah, yes, but the woman on the aisles, who looks like a German chancellor, she is now fighting to stay awake. If one person falls asleep, you can lose the whole audience. And so we would play the rest of the evenings to middle-aged women who wished only to succumb to drowsiness. The second time you stood near me, you were so close, I could smell your shampoo. It smelled like flowers and fruit. I imagine America as being a wild continent, full of women who smell like flowers and fruit. You were talking to a young man from the university. You were complaining about the difficulties of our language for an American. I understand what gives a man or woman gander, you were saying, but what makes a chair masculine or a pigeon feminine? Why should a statue have a feminine ending? The young man, he laughed and pointed straight at me then. But truly, if you are walking through the square, you can tell nothing about me. The robes look like old marble, water-stained and time-worn and leechened. The skin could be granite. Until I move, I am stone and old bronze, and I do not move if I do not want to. I simply stand. Some people wait in the square much too long, even in the rain, to see what I'll do. They are uncomfortable not knowing, only happy once they assure themselves that I am a natural and not an artificial. It is the uncertainty that traps people like a mouse in a glue trap. I am perhaps writing about myself too much. I know that this letter of introduction is as much as a love letter. 
I shall write about you. Your smile. Your eyes so green. You do not know the true color of my eyes. I will tell you. They are brown. You like classical music, but you also have ABBA and Kid Loco on your iPod Nano. You wear no perfume. Your underwear is, for the most part, faded and comfortable, although you have a single set of red lace brassieres and panties, which you wear for special occasions. People watch me in the square, but the eye is only attracted to motion. I have perfected the tiny movement, so tiny that the passerby can scarcely tell if, them, if they saw something or not. Yes, too often people will not see what does not move. My eye sees it, but do not see it. They discount it. I am human-shaped, but I am not human. So, in order to make them see me, I make them look at me to stop their eyes from sliding off me and paying me no attention. I am forced to make the tiniest motions, to draw their eyes to me, then and only then do they see me. But they do not always know what they have seen. I think of you as a code to be broken, or a puzzle to be cracked, or a jigsaw puzzle to be put together. I walk through your life, and I stand motionless at the edge of my own. My gestures, statuesque, precise, are too often misinterpreted. I want you. I do not doubt this. I have a younger sister. She has a MySpace account and a Facebook account. We talk sometimes on Messenger. All too often, people assume that medieval statues exist only in the 15th century. This is not so true. I have a room. I have a laptop. My computer is passworded. I practice safe computing. Your password is your first name. That is not safe. Anyone could read your email, look at your photographs, reconstruct your interests from your web history. Someone who was interested and who cared could spend hours building up a complex schematic of your life, matching the people in the photographs to the names in the emails, for example. It would not be hard reconstructing a life from your computer or a cell phone messages. It would be like filling in a crossword puzzle. I remember when I actually admitted to myself that you had taken to watching me, and only me, on your way across the square. You paused. You admired me. You saw me move once for a child, and you told a woman with you loud enough to be heard that I might be a real statue. I take it as the highest compliment. I have done many different styles of movement, of course. I can move like clockwork. I can set tiny jerks and shudders. I can move like a robot or an automaton. I can move like a statue coming to life after hundreds of years of being stone. Within my hearing, you have spoken my, many times of the beauty of this small city. How, for you, to be standing Inside the stained-glass confection of the old church was like being imprisoned inside a kaleidoscope of jewels. It was like being in the heart of the sun. Also, you are concerned about your mother's illness. When you were an undergraduate, you worked as a cook, and your fingertips are covered with scar marks of a thousand tiny knife cuts. 
<clears throat> I love you, and it's my love for you that drives me to know all about you. The more I know, the closer I am to you. We were to come to my country with a young man, but he broke your heart. And still, you came here to spite him, and still you smiled. I close my eyes, and I can still see you smiling. I close my eyes, and I can see you striding across the town square in a clatter of pigeons. The women of this country, they do not stride. They move differently, unless they are dancers. And when you sleep, your eyelashes flutter, the way your cheek touches the pillow, and the way you dream. I dream of dragons. When I was a small child at the home, they told me that there was a dragon beneath the old city. I pictured the dragon wreathing beneath the black smoke beneath the building, inhibiting the cracks between the cellars, insubstantial, and yet always present. That is how I think of the dragon, and how I think of the past now. A black dragon made of smoke. When I perform, I have been eaten by the dragon and have become a part of the past. I am, truly, seven hundred years old. Kings come, kings go. Armies arrive and are absorbed or returned home again, leaving only damaged buildings, widows, and bastard children behind them. But the statues remain, the dragon of smoke and the past. I say this, Although the statue that I emulate is not far from the town at all, it stands in front of a church in southern Italy, where it is believed to represent either the sister of John the Baptist or a local lord who endowed the church to celebrate that he had not died of the plague, or perhaps the angel of death. I had imagined you perfectly pure, my love, the pure that I am, Yet one time I found that red lace panties were pushed to the bottom of your laundry hamper. And, upon close examination, I was able to assure myself that you had unquestionably been unchaste in the previous evening. Only you know who with, for you did not talk of the incident in your letters home or allude to it in your online journal. A small girl looked up at me once and turned to her mother and said, Why is she so unhappy? I translate into English for you, obviously. The girl was referencing to me the statue and thus used the feminine ending. Why do you believe her to be so unhappy? Her mother asked. Why else would people make themselves into statue? Her mother smiled. Perhaps she is unhappy in love, she said. I was not unhappy in love. I was prepared to wait until everything was right, something very different. There is time. There is always time. It is a gift I took from being a statue, one of the gifts, I should say. You have walked past me and looked at me and smiled, and you have walked past me and other times you barely notice me as anything other than an object. Truly, it is remarkable how little regard you or any human give something that remains completely motionless. You have woken up in the middle of the night, 
gotten up, walked to the toilet, materially <laughs> pissed, walked back to your bed, slept once more peacefully, you would not notice something perfectly still, would you? Something in your shadows. If I could, I would have made the paper for this letter for you out of my body. I thought about mixing the ink with my blood or spittle. But no, there is such a thing as overstatement. Yet great love demands great gestures, yes? I am unused to grand gestures. I am more practiced in tiny gestures. I made a small boy scream once simply by smiling at him when he had convinced himself that I was made of marble. But it is the smallest gestures that will never be forgotten. I love you. I want you. I need you. I am yours just as you are mine. There. I have declared my love for you. Soon, I hope you will know this for yourself. And then, we will never part. It will be time, in a moment, to turn around, to put down the letter. I am with you even now, in these old apartments, with the Iranian carpets on the walls. You have walked past me too many times. No more. I am here with you. I am here with you now. When you put down this letter, when you turn around across this old room, your eyes sweeping it with relief or joy or even terror, and then I will move, move just a fraction, and finally you will see me. All right. <laughs> everybody have fun tonight. Uh, everybody Wang Chung tonight. Not only that, but as it started to get creepy, Mrs. Kitty, she does this thing when she wants attention, which is she puts her two front paws on my thigh. She gets on her she gets on her back rear legs and she puts her two front laws on my paw and she just very gently she doesn't claw me she's a very gentle cat but she does lean in with just the slightest bit of her claws out to get attention and so she's a very quiet kitty and suddenly I'll feel just this pinching on my thigh so just as it started to get creepy all of a sudden pinch on the thigh I was like ah <laughs> True story, real quick. I was reading, uh, I think, creepy, is creepypasta still a thing? You kids still creepypasta? I was reading, like, what's the best creepypastas for people, for, like, guys in their 30s who are not scared of anything. Uh, so I was reading it, like, 2.30, 3 a.m. in the morning, because, you know, I'm a smart guy. And uh, it was all about this, what, it was actually, like, this, this post on Reddit uh, where somebody's complaining about DRM in Skyrim. And then somebody asked them what they mean by it, and you can watch this person respond hundreds of times with less coherence every time. And 
there's a lot of, like, was there a carbon monoxide leak? Was this person losing cognition? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but reading it, you know, there's just dozens. You're, you're watching a descent into madness, effectively. If you, can, if you continue to read this person's responding uh, to the post that they made. And it looks very authentic, I have to say. Most creepypasta, I roll my eyes out. So I was reading it, and I'm very cynical. So I'm just rolling my eyes, scrolling through it. And I have a, uh, a humidifier. It's this tiny little half-liter humidifier that I keep right next to me to keep my voice golden. And I don't know why I did it like a horse. And uh, when it's done, it does a little beep. It's not a scary beep at all. That was a very Mr. Ed, wasn't it? Wilbur. Uh, and so I'm reading it, and then all of a sudden it goes, beep, beep. And I don't scream, but I do, ah, right? Ah, I wasn't scared before. Uh, so anyways, I pull the top off, and put some new water in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go back to reading it. And apparently I put the water bottle too close to the edge of the thing because the water bottle fell off to the side and bounced off the floor with a little plink. And I went, ah! Ah! <laughs> I don't even know what I was scared of. I, was the noise madness entering my head? I don't know. As soon as I screamed, I was like, what was that? Biology? How would that help me? That would only make me look crazier. The whole point of being crazy is that you conceal that shit so the other monkeys don't kick you out the tribe. What the fuck, brain? Oh my god. Boink! Just, this little, just a little plastic boink! Ah! Ah! <laughs> I haven't screamed that loud since the fucking Halloween spider in the shower. Oh, my God. Oh. I told that story another time. The Halloween spider. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> super, super quick. Halloween spider. Uh, it's October 2016. And uh, I have a transparent curtain. And then I have a decorative curtain. Transparent curtain lines the inside of the shower. Decorative curtain on the outside. Yeah? I'm in mid-shower. I don't have my glasses on because I'm in mid-shower. And I look over and I see movement. No, this is not Gwen Stefani. That's another spider. And I see movement out of the corner of my eye. And it's a giant, giant fucking spider trying to cut. It's between the two curtains on the outside of the plastic in between, and he's trying to come into the shower. He keeps trying to climb over the transparent curtain into the shower. And so I scream, and I start punching at the motherfucker, right? But there's, that's a curtain, and there's nothing to connect to. So I'm repeatedly hitting a fucking spider through this plastic air barrier, and no damage is a fucking occurring to at all. If it was an RPG, you would just be watching zero, zero, and ones, like, scrolling up from the spider as I landed hits. Just, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, but I'm not doing any damage. And after every attempt, 
the spider continues to only climb up. He does not climb down, left, right. He's got it on his mind. He's getting over. And so eventually, the only thing I can do is like, like I, I cut my hands together and I get, I get enough water that I throw a little fucking uh, water bender action at him over the top there. A little avatar, a little ah. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I punched the curtain enough. That before I'm completed, because remember, I'm shaving shit in the shower. It's a shower, right? That I I don't see where the spider goes. Yeah? I hit it with the water. I don't have glasses on. I don't see where it goes. I know that I knocked it down. But here's the problem. I was fine with that. <laughs> but my repeated punches to the fucking shower curtain weakened the fucking bar. So mid-shower, the bar and curtain fucking fall down, and I know that there's a spider somewhere in the fucking double curtain beneath on the bathroom floor. Ugh. <laughs> so I do what any reasonable person would do. I shut off the water. I, I take very carefully a, a, one of the corners of the decorative curtain, because it's cloth, not plastic, I dab my bottom of my feet down. I stand on top of the edge of the tub and I fucking Prince of Persia right over that fucking mess. Uh-uh! Anything I couldn't see was lava, bitches. No way! <laughs> Safety first. Dried off my feet. Didn't do it with wet feet. Not an idiot. I'm not gonna launch off a tub that could crack my head open if I fail with wet feet, just moist. Come on. I'm not reckless. <laughs> Legitimately, after I got, like, out, got my glasses and everything, and, like, came back with my slippers on, you know, my flamethrower, when I came back with, my, with the fucking ghillie suit on, and my fucking face painted in the camo, right? <laughs> When I lifted that shower curtain up and I found no goddamn body, I swear to fucking Christ, like I looked directly at the goddamn camera and I said, to be continued, right? Like, I don't fucking, that story's not over. There's, that spider's not done with me yet. That spider was after me harder than I've ever been after. Bounty hunters, 18-year-old redheads, Nothing's ever come after me as hard as that fucking spider. <laughs> all right, all right. God, what a show tonight. And that's the story. There we go. You got a story. I've told it before. <laughs> Get used to it. All right. <clears throat> Sean walked around to the bedside table where he had stored his purchases from earlier in the day. He took out the lovely clamps he'd bought with her he'd brought with her coloring in mind. Up. He only needed the one word, and Grace moved from the floor to the bed. She faced him on her white quilt. Hands on your ankles, little one. Grace did as he asked. 
She couldn't possibly know how much her trust meant to him or how very little he deserved it. She leaned back and clutched her ankles. It left her body completely open to him, her breasts thrust out, her knees opened wide, giving him the loveliest view of her pussy. It was already creamy, and he hadn't touched it yet. He felt a satisfied smile tug at his lips. All he had to do to get Grace hot was feed her. Oh my goodness. All he had to do to get Grace hot was feed her. Of course, he'd fed her himself. He'd made sure she was naked and then sat her in his lap and fed her each bite. He'd made sure she got an excellent meal along with fine wine. And now it was time for dessert. Grace was definitely on the menu. Looking at her spread out like a feast for his taking, his guilt was getting crowded out by desire. God, he never wanted a woman like he wanted this one. He reached out and cupped her breast. The weight of them in his hand was already a thing of comfort and familiarity. Her skin was luminous in the low light of the bedroom. Jean took her nipple in his, ma in his hands. It was already a hard point. It stood at attention and practically begged for him to take it between his teeth and tug. He wasn't playing that way tonight. Sean rolled the pert thing between his thumb and forefinger and quickly attached the clamp. Grace gasped at the petty clamp and small green crystals bit into her flesh. Sean methodically attached the matching clamp and looked at his work. She would look pretty with rings. If he convinced her to pierce those, those gorgeous nipples, he wouldn't have to take them out. They would always be there for him to play with. He could tug on them with his fingers or his tongue. He could run a small chain through them or attach little weights to stimulate them. He could walk her around a club wearing nothing but the jewelry he placed on her body. For the first time in his life, Sean understood his brother's fascination with totally immersive domination and submission. As he sat looking at his sub, he thought about owning her completely. If she was his slave, he would simply order her to quit her job and keep her safe at home, where he could make sure no asshole like Matt Wright ever took advantage of her again. He could shield her from her world. Beautiful. He ran a finger from the base of her neck down her cheek. He ran a finger over her warm flesh, across the sweet swell of her little belly, and down that soft little pussy. Grace shuddered slightly at his fingers and swirled in her wet folds. The crystals on the clamps quivered slightly. Sean gave in to his fantasy. For tonight... She belonged to him, body and soul. Who do you belong to, sub? I belong to you, sir. And who do you serve? His middle finger gently circled her clit. He made sure not to actually touch the pouting 
little pearl. I serve you, sir. The hitch in her breath let Sean know she wanted nothing more than to touch the touch he was denying her. Anticipation was the key to pleasure. That and patience. How do you serve me? Any way you like, sir. He couldn't help but smile. She meant it. She would serve him any way he asked because she trusted him to never hurt her. He never would, not in a physical way. Her heart was another story altogether. Would it make a difference if he told her how deep he was with her? He'd never felt this much for another woman. Or would she just see it as one more lie he'd told her? Sex. He'd bind her to him with sex. She'd be pissed when she found out the truth, but their relationship would have grounding. He was her dom. He'd tell her to listen, and she would. But only if he wrapped her in pleasure that he knew she couldn't get from anywhere else. He decided to start where he already was. He allowed his thumb to firmly rub her clitoris. That plump little nubbin quivered, and her cream-cloated Sean's hand. Grace was biting her lip. He knew that his little sub was thinking of anything to get her mind off coming. She didn't have permission, and she was obviously trying to be so, so good. Come for me, but quietly. I want not a word to pass through those sweet lips, or we will have discipline. He circled her clit, and her hips shook as she allowed the sensation to take her. Her breathy moans told him she'd enjoy her orgasm. It was just a little starter orgasm, nothing compared to what he could give her. But the night was young. Grace was so responsive. He'd have her screaming by the time it was over. Then he'd get to discipline her. All just another part of the game. Sean pulled his hand up and, without really thinking about it, brought his fingers to his mouth. He loved the tangy taste of her. He licked his fingers, then decided that little appetizer didn't suit him. He needed more than an appetizer. Grace let out a breathy cry as he got down on his stomach and shoved his face in her pussy. He licked her from the pulsing clit to just before the rosette of her ass when he firmly intended to spend some time this evening. He gently ate at her tender labia, her tongue swirling, lapping up at the cream that poured out of her. Her pussy was plump and ripe and ready to go off again. He brought two fingers up, coated them in her arousal, and gently pushed them inside her cunt. His tongue set up firm, quick rhythm against her clit. He fucked her with his fingers and tongue until his small, until the sweet, obedient sub gave up and cried out, over and over. Sean didn't stop until her shaking did. Her whole body jumped as he gave her clit one last lick. Aftershocks. Sean got up from the bed, 
Grace fell back with a little cry. He waited patiently for her to open her eyes. It took a moment, but those hazel beauties were round when she finally sat up. I know I wasn't supposed to make a sound. I'm sorry, sir. She wasn't. He could tell. Again, another part of the game. He liked playing with Grace because she really was playing. She wanted the spanking he'd promised her. She would enjoy it thoroughly. She could play it with her like this in the evenings and during the day, and she would turn that tart tongue on him and put him on his ass when he needed it. It was the best of both worlds. A submissive in the bedroom and an utterly reliable partner in the outside world. Hands and knees. Present that ass to me. She wiggled it a little, and she followed his command. She was as saucy even when she was playing the game. She thought she knew what was going to happen. This time, it was going to trip her up a little, though. To let her know she couldn't count on her dom to follow the rules. Discipline doesn't always involve spanking. Sometimes it's much worse. How much worse? She turned her head back, and Sean was happy at the bit of trepidation in her eyes. I hope you enjoyed those orgasms, sweetheart. They're the last you'll have for a bit. Sean got the vibrator he bought. He took up a position behind her and set it on a low hum. Grace's pussy was wet with anticipation when he gently worked it into her. Hold it in place, Grace. I'm not done showing you your toys yet. Her hand came up to hold the vibe in place. She wobbled it for a moment, but maintained her position. Sean took it out, his next little gift. A nice-sized plug. He chuckled as he lubed it up. Grace was already groaning. The vibe was starting to work back and forth, harder and faster in her pussy. Don't you come, sub. It was an order given with every bit of bite he had put into the ordering around his old unit. The vibe's motion slowed. I swear... I'll have you tied to this headboard and feet in a spreader, and you'll have to sleep that way. You won't come for days, but you'll suck me morning and night. Is that understood? Yes, sir. She sounded like it was hard to concentrate. He intended to make it almost impossible. Now, when I say so, I want you to push back against me. Grace groaned and muttered a curse word under her breath. She seemed to know what was coming. Sean smacked her ass. Watch your language. He took the perfectly lewd plug and placed it against her tight little asshole. He worked that pink plug in just a little bit. She was tight. Sean's dick throbbed in anticipation. He was going to be like a vice on his cock. He rimmed her hole and started to thrust the plug into her ass in short strokes. Gradually, his patience was rewarded as she began to open like a flower for him. 
push back. Her backside obediently flattened out and pushed back against his hand. The plug slid home, deep inside her ass, opening her for his later use. Grace let out a shaky breath. Sean let back his heels and looked up at her. The plug was a sweet little sign of his possession. Sean leaned over and kissed the dimples in her lower back. He ran his hands along the globes of her ass. She was so feminine. There was nothing bony or boyish about his grace. She was made for a man to enjoy. Sean intended to be that man. The only one. He reached down, his hand replaced hers on the vibe. He fucked her gently, making sure to stop every time she approached orgasm. He used one hand on the vibe and let his free hand tug on the clamps, pulling and plucking her nipples like he was playing an instrument. Grace was shaking with the need to come after the first time ticked on and on. Her hand fell forward, and he knew she was reached. She had reached her boundary. This was what a dom did. He pushed his sub to find her limits and bring her greatest pleasure that she could experience. Beg me grace. She didn't hesitate. Please, please, please let me come, sir. He decided it was time to give in. He picked up the condom he'd laid out and rolled it out on his dick. Since you asked so nicely, but not without me. Hold the vibe. Her hand came up to keep her pussy filled. His balls drew up painfully at just the thought of what he was about to do. Sean gingerly pulled the plug out of her hole. The little rosette pluckered and clenched as though trying to keep its prize. He had something bigger in mind. He squirted warm lube on his hands and stroked himself from bulb to base, making sure he was slippery. He heard Grace moan, and her hips shook. He could feel her heat from here. His hands were a little shaky, too. It had been so long since sex had been more than a physical itch to be scratched. There was so much more than his cock involved in this, but his cock wanted its way now. Sean gripped her glorious curvy hips and lined his dick up to her rosy ass. He couldn't contain his groan as he pushed in, battling the little muscles he found there. Her anus clenched around him, sucking him in and pushing him out at the same time. She felt so good. Without needing to be told, Grace pushed against him, aiding him, inch by fiery inch. He tunneled away until there was nowhere further to go, until his balls were against her. Sean held himself in there for a moment, enjoying the sensation of being balls deep in Grace's ass. Please. One little word did strange things to his heart because it came out of her mouth. Yes, love. Sean reached down and took the vibe, pushing her hand away. 
He wanted control. He wanted to be the only one filling her from both ends. He flicked the little button and dialed the vibe up and started to fuck her. Grace was gone. She moaned and thrust back against him, bucking and thrashing in her attempt to get what had been denied for so long. He knew exactly what she was thinking because she, because he was the man who had led her there. Sean stopped holding back, too. There was no place for finesse now. He pounded into her ass. He pulled out and shoved back in, the tight hole fighting him deliciously all the way. He moved the vibe in and out, time and the motion of his cock flicking up to ensure the little rabbit head rubbed her clit. Grace screamed as she came. The sound was primal and entirely feminine. It filled Sean with a sense of pride and caused his balls to draw up even tighter. Grace thrust back against him, and the fight was over. Sean released the vibe and gripped both her hips savagely. He was pushed her on, over his cock, and now over, except for his own pleasure. Fire sizzled across his balls, and he groaned as his cum shot from his cock. Sean didn't even try and hold himself up. He allowed himself to fall against her, his weight pressing her into the bed. His whole body felt the blood pulsed through him. He wrapped his arms around Grace and was surrounded by the softness of her skin and the sweet smell of her body. Her red hair tickled him, and their legs tangled as he rolled off her, but kept her close to him. Grace laid her head across his chest, so sweet, so trusting. I'm going to draw us a bath and get you another glass of wine, little one. Lexi Blake, the Dom Who Loved Me. Okay, kids, that's the show for tonight. Mr. Tums is not saying Mr. Yums. Otherwise, I would go and do one more sexy story. You probably heard a little bit of grumbling and growling. Don't pretend you didn't. I feel fine. It's just a tummy thing. It's okay. Don't worry about me. I promise it's okay. It's just when Mr. Tums says that's it for the evening, that's it, baby. He's the boss. Tip me Come on, do it. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I had a great time. I hope you had a great time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Can't do without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am going to get drunk and stoned and play some more salt and sanctuary. Oh my god. Wasn't wasn't making wasn't wasn't kidding at all. Loving that. Watching Netflix, playing Salt and Sanctuary, having the time of my life. Thank you guys so much. I had a great time. I love the live shows. They make my weekend. They put it all together. I appreciate you all very, 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 very much. Just the tip, girls. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hardly begged at all this week. I'm going to start only begging towards the end after I fucking crush it. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am departing now. I will be around probably in chat a little bit later after I've loosened up. Thank you again. Have a great weekend. Patron show next Saturday. Hope to see you there. One dollar to get in the admission there. Thank you again. And have a great rest of your weekend ahead of you. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs>